You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. VMware ESXi exploitations, Super Bowl cyber risks, and scalping bots, the curious case of the Moscow billboards, Joe Kerrigan tracks pig butchering apps in online app stores, our guest is David Liebenberg from Cisco Talos to discuss incident response trends, and in sports ball, it's going to be the Chiefs by a couple of hat tricks, or something like that. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, February 7th, 2023. More information has come to light regarding the widespread ransomware attacks exploiting a two year old vulnerability in VMware ESXi servers. The ransomware, which is being tracked as ESXi ARGs, appears to be a new strain. SC Media reports that Europe has so far been the hardest-hit region, followed by North America. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency has offered its help, saying, CISA is working with our public and private sector partners to assess the impacts of these reported incidents and provide assistance where needed. VMware yesterday published a statement on the incident, noting that they have not found evidence of an unknown vulnerability, a zero-day being used. Most reports suggest the attacks are targeting products that are end-of-general support or out-of-date, and that they can be addressed by upgrading to the latest supported releases of vSphere components. VMware also recommends disabling the OpenSLP service in ESXi. Versions released as of 2021 ship with this service disabled by default. It's worth noting, again, that the vulnerability being exploited is one VMware patched last year, and so mitigations and fixes are indeed available. What follows is inevitably going to be an American thing, so rest of the world receive this with our apologies. This coming Sunday is, as you may have heard, the day on which the Super Bowl will be played to decide the championship of the National Football League. That's American football, friends, not the sort of football they mean in, say, the UK or most of Latin America. We know, we know, the whole business has been completely devoid of interest since the Baltimore Ravens were eliminated in the wild card round. But apparently, people in places like King of Prussia, PA, and Peculiar, Missouri are following the build-up to the big game, which no longer appears so big to the rest of us since, as I said, 
the Ravens are out of it. Anywho, the scammers are trying to ride the NFL's hype cycle, as scammers will. Proofpoint describes a spike in Super Bowl-themed spam over the past weeks, and Synopsis casts a skeptical eye on sportsbook apps. Proofpoint researchers say they've observed an 860% increase in smishing attacks during the NFL playoff period. The vast majority of the text messages contained a shortened link leading to a malicious website. The messages contained phony offers for iPad giveaways or free betting money. The researchers expect these scams to increase as the Super Bowl approaches, and the researchers are probably right. Free betting money might as well come with a lead-in, step right up, and step right up they will. The whole betting angle is entirely foreseeable. Synopsis has just published a report looking at the security of the top 10 sports betting apps for Android devices. The researchers found that all of the apps use outdated open-source components that contain vulnerabilities. The vulnerabilities aren't necessarily exploitable within the apps themselves, but they're not a good sign. Synopsis says their presence indicates that developers and app stores should refine their security practices, and Synopsis can say that again. In the meantime, I'm checking my apps because that's what all the kids are doing nowadays. We're taking, what, the Chiefs to cover? Wait, wait, this mic was on? Oh, just kidding. No gambling here, friends, and in any case, go Chiefs, or if you prefer, fly, Eagles, fly. Looking at other forms of online crime and fraud, Datadome has published a report on e-commerce bot traffic during the 2022 holiday season, finding that bots are growing increasingly capable of imitating human users. Most of the traffic observed by Datadome came from IP addresses in the United States. This doesn't necessarily mean the spammers are in the U.S., since they intentionally use IP addresses in the region they intend to target. And the researchers note that most of Datadome's customers are located in the U.S., 98% of the bots were designed to scrape online retailers' inventory and buy items to be scalped. The two most targeted sectors were electronics and footwear. The bots were particularly focused on gaming consoles and luxury or limited-edition clothing merchandise. It's striking how the digital versions of It Fell Off a Truck and I Know a Guy Who Knows a Guy have cropped up. And finally, electronic billboards in Moscow over the weekend displayed large, prominent ads for Black Sprut, an infamous dark web contraband market mostly involved in illicit drug sales. The record reports that the ads featured a woman in what the record calls a futuristic mask, but which looks more like some kind of kinky erotic gear, or so we've heard. We are unacquainted with that stuff here on what is, after all, a family show— and the slogan, Come to me if you're looking for the best. It's unclear why the ads appeared, but the competing theories are that, first, maybe it was an oversight, someone just slipped up, and boy, are they in trouble. Or the billboards were hacked, or the ads were permitted. That last one seems likeliest. Black Sprut is a successor to the now-defunct Hydra illicit market, and it handles a lot of trade, perhaps nearly 30% of the darknet market share globally. So Black Sprut may be too big to interfere with, and this may simply represent an evolution in the long-standing coziness 
between the Russian organs and the country's online gangs. So anyway, perhaps Mr. Putin wants to fire up that app, treat yourself to some of that free betting money. We hear the smart play is the Chiefs by a couple of home runs. Or something like that. After the break, Joe Kerrigan tracks pig butchering apps in online app stores. Our guest is David Liebenberg from Cisco Talos to discuss incident response trends. Stay with us. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. Dave Liebenberg is head of strategic analysis at Cisco Talos, where they recently released their quarterly incident response trends report covering the fourth quarter of 2022. I spoke with Dave Liebenberg for the highlights. Targeting is always interesting. Um, Just seeing what the trends are, what are the industry verticals that are getting the most attention. And this quarter, Q4, the top targeted vertical was telecoms. Um, telecommunications was actually the top targeted vertical uh, nearly every quarter this year, apart from Q3, in which it was education. Um, so telecoms have just been a big, big target this year. On um, previous years, it was hewed more closely to education 
manufacturing and sometimes local government. Do you, are there any insights as to why telecoms might have this target on their back? You know, I don't have definitive reason for it, but to yeah. me, uh, telecoms seem like a good target because one, um, it's a, a good way to sort of maximize your threat service and pivot into other high value targets that you want to get to. Um, there's lots of legacy technology. There's lots of sensitive information. And of course, there's lots of concern about, you know, downtime. Um, so I can, I can certainly see why it's a popular target. One of the things that you all pointed out here was that um, there was a platform called Synchro that showed up a lot. Can you give us the, some of the information about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so Synchro is a remote uh, management and monitoring tool for an RMM. You know, these types of tools, similar to like TeamViewer or things like that, uh, we've seen a 10% increase uh, in usage from last quarter to this quarter. And added to that, Synchro itself was actually observed in 30% of engagements this quarter. So just a massive increase in the usage of that particular tool. Um, and, you know, we've seen it being used in a, in a, a variety of different threats um, from, you know, commodity loaders such as Batloader. Uh, we saw a Quackbot infection using it, uh, phishing campaigns using it, ransomware using it. So um, it's, it's very widespread and very popular among a diverse group of threat actors. Another thing you all pointed out was uh, a possible uh, rebranding of the folks behind Conti. Yes, that's correct. Another one, um, it seems like. It's the <laughs> rebranding that never stops. But yes, uh, Royal Ransomware, uh, which is a newer ransomware family that we uh, just began observing this past quarter, uh, appears to have been a, a rebrand uh, from Conti, according to analysis from, uh, from various security firms. Um, and to me, one of the most interesting things about, you know, the emergence of these new ransomware actors and rebrandings and stuff like that is while ransomware has continued to be the most dominant threat that we face or that we see in IR engagements, it's been that way for many, many quarters uh, since we've done this. While that game has remained hot, the players constantly shift because of infighting, because of law enforcement attention, because of, you know, many different reasons so that we're constantly seeing newer actors emerge into the field. Now, you all pointed out that um, nearly 40% uh, of the engagements used phishing emails as uh, their way to establish initial access, but also that uh, folks still seem to be lagging when it comes to multi-factor authentication. Yeah, 30% of engagements this quarter uh, basically had, you know, um, MFA that was not robust enough. Either they didn't have it at all or they only had it on a handful of accounts or critical services. The, the recommendation, our top recommendation has been very consistent for, for the past year um, and change really, which is you need to implement MFA. And it needs to be implemented on everything critical, including you know EDR, VPNs, all that needs to be locked down because if the you know the threat actor can uninstall your security systems, then they're not going to be very effective. MFA is is hugely important, and the amount of phishing attacks that we observed this quarter just highlights how important it is, and and the gap that uh, you know some enterprises have in implementing it. Hmm. Well, beyond MFA, what are some of the uh, 
other or the other recommendations that you and the team there have? Yeah, so I've been really, you know, when I when I look towards what's going to happen in in 2023 and thinking about future trends and stuff like that, I think fishing is just going to continue to get very very um, effective. And you know, it's I think it has to lead to a little bit of a not if but when mindset. And you know, I think recommendations along that line is you need to sort of think about harm reduction. You need to think about getting that MFA on. You need to think about um, segmenting. You need to think about locking down powerful tools like PSXEC and PowerShell to you know users who are or very secure accounts. Um, and uh, you have to have sophisticated you know training for employees and and most importantly you know I always say this you don't want to learn how to put out the fire as a fire is happening so get an incident response plan in place get an asset inventory in place get logging in place and make sure if something does happen you're well positioned to to help mitigate it that's Dave Liebenberg from Cisco Talos. The report is titled Incident Response Trends in Quarter 4, 2022. We'll have a link in the show notes. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He is from Harbor Labs and the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute, uh, Joe, interesting article from the folks over at Ars Technica. This is written by Dan Gooden, and he's actually referencing some research from the folks over at Sophos about some pig butchering scams that have made their way onto some of the app stores. Uh, can you unpack what's going on here, Joe? Yeah, it's it's a convoluted scam. I mean, it's really big because the payouts are big. Yeah. So pig butchering um, or in... What they're calling it here in this story, they, which I like a little bit better because it doesn't sound so gross, <laughs> is crypto ROM, uh-huh. which is a combination of crypto uh, currency scams with romance scams. Uh-huh. So, you know, the typical pig butchering scam is one where you, the scammer hooks up with somebody, uh, usually through romantic uh, interludes, right? Through some romantic pretext. Okay. And over time, then the scammer tells the person, uh, yeah, well, I've been making money with crypto here. Uh, here's how I do it. And I invest in this, uh, in this company. And the victim then says, oh, well, maybe I'll try some, th- some of that with a little bit of money. Right. right. And they put a little right. bit of money in. By the time this is going on, by the way, the scammer already knows about how much this person is going, you know, whether or not this person is worth their time to pursue. I see. Right. Does this person have money that I can steal from them? Mm-hmm. Um, and how much? A, a good idea of how much. So the person will put some money in. That money will grow. It doesn't really grow, but it looks like it's growing. And then that person can even make a withdrawal of the money they initially made. Mm-hmm. Right. But if they put it in again, they start getting these reports, oh, no, you can't p- pull the money out now. You have to put more money in to get money out. And they just keep leading the person on. And by they, I mean the organization. Okay. Right? So uh, this article talks about the complexity of these organizations okay. and, and how big they are and, how, and actually how the, the, the bottom level of this organization is essentially a bunch of people who have been uh, imprisoned, falsely imprisoned, human trafficking operations – 
from other countries. Their passports have been confiscated, and now they have to to participate, or there's a threat of violence. Uh, but up above them, there's people who build the infrastructure that is used for taking the money from people. And what the crux of the story is, is that there have been two apps that Sophos found in both Apple's App Store and in the Google Play Store. Mm. And these were initially a, um, one was a cryptocurrency price tracking app, and the other one was a barcode reader. Mm-hmm. And the way these things got through the uh, the vetting process was very similar to something that Charlie Miller did back in 2011. Hmm. Uh, if I'm going to hearken back to that. Uh, Charlie Miller found a vulnerability in the process of how apps were updated on the Apple uh, App Store. Okay. At that point in time, it was called the iTunes App Store. You remember Who, that? Yeah, who's Charlie Miller? Charlie Miller's a security researcher. Okay. Uh, he was at Twitter for a while. He actually, uh, he and I actually were both working at Acuvon at the same time before that before he moved on. Okay. Uh, I've never met Charlie. I mean, Acuvon was a big company at the time. Yeah. But um, Charlie Miller and Chris, Chris Valasek are the ones that hacked the Jeep. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's Charlie Miller. Okay. Uh, and he's he's really good at hacking Apple products. I think another thing he did was, it may have been Charlie that did this. He got, uh, put malware on the battery controller for, for an Apple uh, MacBook. Hmm. Uh, but Charlie's really smart. Uh, and back in 2011, he found a way to get an app, a malicious app, into the App Store. And what he did was he submitted a uh, an actual app. And then after the app had been approved, he published an update to the app with unsigned code. And Apple just pushed it out. Hmm. Uh, and he went to Forbes and disclosed the vulnerability. Right. Uh, I don't know if he went to Apple first. I, it, I, it's, I, I don't know the details, but... As soon as the story went public, Apple uh, Apple suspended his developer account for a year. Yeah, which uh, I was very critical of. Because <laughs> hmm. that's not how you not how you reward security researchers. But this is kind of the same thing. It works very similar. But these apps don't publish new code. What's happening is outside of Apple and Google's control. So these apps all have dynamic content on them that is provided from a website. Right after a the app has been approved, the back end of that website changes to provide malicious content that I lets see. people lets people get uh, use this interface as if it were a, a crypto exchange. And mm-hmm. it's not. It's just a, a theft mm-hmm. of, of cryptocurrency. Hmm. So what happens is there's no banks involved at all. These people tell the victim, go to Binance, which is a legitimate cryptocurrency exchange you can give money to. Yeah. So they're leveraging that infrastructure. They're saying... Buy some cryptocurrency, send it to this app over here, this exchange over here, which you can do. You can send cryptocurrency between exchanges just by sending it to uh, another uh, address, let's say a Bitcoin address, right? Right. Um, And that works just fine. Like, you could easily exchange between, like, Kraken and Coinbase. Okay. Or Binance and Coinbase, whatever. Any any of these – you could send money this way legitimately all day long. But you could also – be duped into sending it illegitimately. Hmm. Uh, and that's what happens. These guys then start uh, start their scam and they they start telling people to put more and more money into it. And it's uh, we had a story on Hacking Humans about a guy that had his entire retirement drained by a similar scam, though it wasn't cryptocurrency-based, but it was like uh, stock market-based. So we got these guys that run a hedge fund and they're making tons of money. Right. Uh, and that guy looked at his... Uh, looked at his website every day and was like, man, I'm, I'm killing it. <laughs> and eventually put all of his money into there. And then 
once he stopped putting money in, they shut it down and took his money and left. Right. Uh, and that's what happens here. They they shut down the, uh, you know, they stop communicating with you. Your money is already gone the moment you you send it to them, once you've put a significant amount into it. Hmm. Um, but I, the the last part of this article is, is really telling. Uh, I'm just going to read it. He says, it's easy. Uh, I guess this is Dan Gooden that says this. It's easy to read the details of these scams and wonder how anyone could fall for them. Sophos and others say the victims who get taken in are often well-educated, some with PhDs. Some of the techniques responsible for success include the length of the engagement the scammers have with the victim and the proof of the initial withdrawal is possible. Combined with the emotional vulnerability of some victims, the rise of app-based finance, and the unwitting role played by companies like Apple and Google, these and other techniques have proven effective. Hmm. So one of the major points that Gooden makes in this article is that when you go to the app store, especially the Apple app store, yeah. you generally have a high level of trust with the app that's in there by default. Right. Uh, and these guys have found a way around it. Now, Apple and Google, immediately after being informed of this, uh, remove these apps from the app store. Mm-hmm. But the dynamic content problem, I don't think there's a really easy technical solution to that. Maybe there's, maybe they can issue, uh, you know, maybe they can monitor all the apps. Right. I mean, but that's, there's a lot of apps in the app store. Yeah, hard um, to keep up. Yeah, it's hard to keep up. That would be a large technical problem. Yeah. All right. Well, again, this article is over on Ars Technica. Uh, it's titled Pig Butchering Scam Apps Sneak Into Apple's App Store and Google Play. Uh, Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Dave. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by John Petrick. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.